0: Well, like I said, my name is Sam Silvius, and um, I'm going to be preaching to you this morning. Uh, Darren, our senior pastor, he is still on a study break. He's been gone for a couple of weeks. He's going to be gone for a couple more weeks um, as he's really listening to God and hearing from the Lord and preparing uh, to lead our church into the next season. And so you are stuck with me uh, for two more weeks. I apologize for that. We'll try and get through it together. Um, But we've been in this series called Missing. For the last couple of weeks, and really, um, the reason we came to this, that what I really felt like God was telling me is that, that we needed to hear about this thing, this this idea of missing, because so many of us experience this feeling that there 's something in our lives that 's just not quite. Right, and, and it's not a huge gaping hole, it's not an obvious thing that needs to be fixed, but there's just this little kind of thing that's just not quite settled, it's not quite right in our hearts, it's not quite right in our lives, and, and even in the best of times, we find that there's something missing. And, and back all the way two weeks ago, in week one, we looked at this passage, this thing that Jesus said, and he said this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now I love that promise. I love the idea behind that. I love the idea of an easy and light yoke and burden of, of an easy life of, of rest for my soul. Man, that sounds so good. But Jesus promised that and I don't know about you but my life doesn't always match up to that. Like, So what's the problem here? If Jesus promised that if we follow him, we'd have this rest for our souls, but our lives don't match that, then then what's the thing that's missing? What's the thing that's causing that to not be true? And way back two weeks ago, we looked at this other thing that Jesus said that kind of gave us a clue as to what might be missing. And he said this in Luke chapter nine, verses 23 and 24, he said to all of them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. And what we discovered two weeks ago is that the answer to finding the missing thing, at least the first step to finding what's missing, the first step to having this rest for our souls is to fully surrender to God. To fully surrender, to let go, and to do what he says in Luke 9 there, to let go, to live for Christ, to let our lives go and to live for Christ. And so we said, hey, we're gonna be fully surrendered. But then last week, we kind of talked about The fact that that sounds really good in church, but what does that actually mean? What does it even look like? I mean, what does it look like to live fully surrendered? And how do we know what we're supposed to do? How do we know what God wants us to do, where God's leading us, what God has for us? How do we even know those things? I mean, how can we live fully surrendered unless we know where God is taking us? And so last week we looked at this passage uh, in Nehemiah. We looked at this story of, of a man who found his life's calling, who found what God was leading him to do. And we saw in his memoirs how we can discover some of the same things and how we can say yes to where God is leading us. And so many of you last week, in fact, 153 of you said yes in those cards that we had in the backs of the seat. And you said, yes, I want to be involved. I want to do what God is calling us to do as a church. I want to step into the ministry. I want to step into a world that's broken and needs our help. And we're so thankful for those of you who said yes to that. And many of you said yes to big things. Things like the problem with marriage in our society The fact that marriage is not seen as a permanent institution. That it's lost some of its value. And how do we address that? How do we even begin to tackle that issue? Or things like human trafficking. How do we begin to step into the world of human trafficking and make a difference in that place? How do we begin to affect that and change that? How do we affect a teenager's life? Bombarded with all kinds of things in the public school system. How do we begin to do these big things, these great things that God is calling us to do? How do we step into that? I mean... Do we just go do it? I mean, I I feel like I'm not equipped. I feel like I don't have the resources to take on these big things. And I I imagine that you probably feel the same way. But here's the good news, and here's what we're going to look at today, is that God is not calling you to just man up and go do it. He's actually given you a gift that will allow you to do what he's called you to do. He's put something in you that will allow you to take on these big things, that will allow you to tackle these big problems, that will allow you to live the way that he wants you to live. And we're going to see what those gifts are through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in chapter 12 of that book. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the text right up here on the screen for you so you can follow along up there. Um, but we're going to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians. Now, this book was written by a guy named Paul. Paul was an apostle. That's a fancy word that means church planter. Paul went around and um, found Christians, converted people to Christianity thousands of years ago in the old world, um, right after Christ had gone back to heaven just a few years later. Paul went around and he planted all these churches all over uh, what is modern day Turkey and um, parts of the Middle East. And so this was Paul's life. He went around and planted churches. But sometimes the churches would get confused about what they were supposed to do or how they were supposed to live. And Paul would have to address that. So he'd stay there for a few years, and then he'd go plant another church in another city, and he'd write letters back and forth to these churches to address the issues. Well, 1 Corinthians is one of the letters that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. And he was specifically addressing some issues. In the the section that we're going to look at, there was some confusion in the church in Corinth about this thing called spiritual gifts. Now, if you've been in the church for a long time, you may have heard that term, spiritual gifts. But I think there's still some misunderstanding about what they are and how we get them, and what the purpose of them is, and and, and so that's what I want to look at today, is, is to take a look at what Paul said about these spiritual gifts, so that we can understand how God has equipped us to do what he wants us to do. So here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse 4, and here's what Paul says. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, Paul starts out not telling us about what the gifts are, not telling us how to get the gifts, but he tells us this one thing in this section, that that these gifts are all from God. That God is the one who does the work. That God is the one who gives the gifts. That God is the one who performs the service. That God is the one who does this. Now, that's important for us to understand as a baseline to kind of set the tone for the rest of what we're going to look at to understand that it's God who does this, not us who does this, not the church who does this, but God working in our lives, moving in our lives, who performs these things that we're going to talk about. So that's what we got to understand first, is that it's all about God and all about what he's doing. So here's what Paul says after that in verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That is a loaded sentence. Now, to e- I'm going to read it again. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, let's take a look at, at it from just the surface level initially. Each one, that means every believer... And given for the common good, that means that the gifts are given to help each other, right? So what we can take away, really, from the very surface level is this, that every believer is given a gift or multiple gifts in order to help each other. Every believer is given spiritual gifts, sometimes one, sometimes many, in order to help each other. That's the purpose of the gifts. But what is this thing, the manifestation of the Spirit, what does that mean? I mean... i don 't talk like that, maybe some of you do in your jobs, but but I certainly don 't use those big words all the time and so let 's take a look at what i mean what does this mean the manifestation of the spirit and in order to understand it, I think that we need to understand something about Christianity in general now. You may have been drugged to church this morning. You may be here against your will, and you may not believe all the things that we're talking about this morning. And and maybe you're here because you're curious, and that's okay. We're so glad that you're here, but I'm gonna let you into a little secret uh, about Christianity. And it's, it's a thing that a lot of Christians even don't completely understand how this works, but there's something that we believe as Christians, and it's foundational to everything else we're gonna read this morning. And so we need to get it right from the beginning. And here's what we believe as Christians. We believe that there's one God. We believe that that God set forth a law and that we are required to follow that law. We believe that everyone has the law written even on their hearts. You know what's wrong and what's right because God has written that law on your hearts. But all of us are guilty of breaking the law breaking God's law. None of us have kept it perfectly. None of us have done everything that God's asked us to do, or we've not not done the things that God's asked us not to do. We've all broken the law, and that's a problem for us, because what God says is that the payment for that, the consequence of breaking God's law, is death and eternal separation from God, which is a big problem for us, because there's no way that we can go back and do it. And it's an all or nothing, pass, fail. If you mess up one time, the game is over. There's no earning it back. There's no let me make up for that. There's no way that we can do that. Once we've committed a crime, once we've sinned against God, once we've broken his law one time, we're guilty of breaking the whole law and we deserve this punishment to be separated from God. But God didn't leave us there because he's a loving father, because he cares about his creation, because he loves us more than we could possibly understand. He sent his son Jesus who was born in the form of a baby and lived the perfect life that that we couldn't live. Did what none of us could do. He lived the perfect life, but even though he was perfect, he was sent to the cross to die on our behalf, and because he was perfect, he could go to the cross, and when he was on the cross, the Father God laid all of the sins of the world upon him so that anyone who believes in Christ would not have to perish, but could have eternal life, because here's what happens. God has taken the punishment that you deserve, the punishment that I deserve, the wrath that he has towards us for breaking his law, and he's poured it out on Jesus Christ, And Jesus died in our place. Not only did he die, but he was buried. He stayed buried for three days. But three days later, he came back to life. He rose again. And in doing so, he overcame sin and death once and for all, overcame the payment, the punishment for sin. And so if we put our faith in Christ, we get the same benefit that Christ did, which is to be raised from the dead to a new life, lived through the Spirit. And here's how this works. We just baptized several people. And we said goodbye to all of them. Do you know why we did that? Because when we say yes to God, when we surrender to God, when we say, I'm putting my faith and my hope and my trust in Jesus, we are saying, God, here is my life. I willingly give over to you the life that you gave me. I give you that life and I willingly die to myself. I'm figuratively figuratively dying, but I'm giving that life over and I'm asking you now, Spirit, to live in me, to ask God to live through me. And he does this through something called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us and our life is now found not in our own lives but in the life of Christ through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. So you gotta understand that that's what we believe. And I get that that's like a crazy kind of strange thing to believe. Like, Just on the surface of it, it sounds crazy. And I'll tell you that if it wasn't for a man who went into the grave for three days and then rose again and was seen by more than 500 witnesses, I don't know that I would believe it. But Jesus did exactly that, and he says, I give you my spirit, and by my spirit you are living, I am living in you. And so that's how this works. And we have the spirit of Christ. If we're believers, if we've said yes to God, we've surrendered our lives, and Christ lives in us. So when we say the manifestation of the spirit, the Holy Spirit is living in us. And manifestation means he is showing himself to the world. He is revealing that life that's in us, the spirit that's in us. He's revealing to the body of believers for the common good, to help one another. And so these gifts that we're going to talk about are really the spirit showing himself through the manifestation of these gifts, through his power. It's going to come out in these gifts. That's how this works. That's what it means, the manifestation of the spirit. Now, what are the gifts That we're going to see. How does God manifest himself? Well, Paul's going to tell us, picking up in verse 8, here's what he says. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now here Paul gives us a list of gifts. But here's what our tendency to do is, right? We see a list of gifts, and we automatically go, oh, there's a list, that means I get to pick, right? I mean, that's what we do, right? It's just a natural tendency. And, and it's kind of how we're wired, right? I mean, my, grand, my, uh, my parents and my in-laws have taught my children this, right? Because whenever we go visit them, what do we do? We spend a day walking through Toys R Us, and we go, I want that, and I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And those make it on the Christmas list. Now, not all of them are purchased, but that's how we determine the list. And so my kids actually get to pick the gifts that they want. But these gifts don't quite work like that, Right? Because the Spirit distributes the gifts just as He determines. Have you ever gotten a gift that was really good for you, but you didn't really want it at the time? When I was a kid, my grandmother would give me savings bonds. Aren't those the worst when you're a kid? I mean, I'm thankful for them now, don't get me wrong. But when I was a kid, man, those are the worst because you're like, hey, it's money, but it's not money. It's a piece of paper that someday I'll have money. Yay. And when you're a kid, man, that's not a gift that you want. But I didn't get to choose the gift because I was not the gift giver. And what we see here is that it's the Spirit who distributes the gift as he determines. And because he's a good father, because he's a trustworthy God, he gives the gifts. We can trust that he's giving the gifts that we need in the moment. Right? We can trust that he's the one who's distributing those gifts. And so here's what we take away from that. All of the gifts are from the Holy Spirit. Every single one of them comes from the good father, from the best gift giver ever. I mean, he's the one who gave us Jesus. And all of the gifts come from that place. So there's no gift that's more significant, that's more important than another. They're all equally needed. They're all equally essential. They're all equally important and all equally spirit-filled. And here's how this works right? God has gifted me with the ability to stand on this stage and talk to you without puking. <laughs> Many of you can't do that. That's okay. That's okay. But it's important that since God has allowed me to do that, that I say yes to what God has allowed me to do, what he's called me to do. Because through God speaking through me, these aren't my words. This is God is speaking through me. And and what I do, I have this practice before I come up on stage every time as we're doing communion, I surrender to God every single service, every single weekend and say, God, if I'm not supposed to say something, don't let me say it. If I am supposed to say something, let me say that. And throughout the preparation, and I know Pastor Darren does this too, because we recognize that it's not about me and my ability to speak. It's about my ability to say, God, do with me what you will and pour yourself out for the encouragement, for the lifting up, for the betterment of the congregation. And that is no more significant because I'm on the stage than it is when we're in financial peace class, or when it is when you are going to help your neighbor with groceries that they need, or when you're doing something that God has called you to do, when you're being kind, when you're greeting in the front area, when you're with kids in the other side of the building. Whatever God is calling you to do, it is the spirit that is manifesting himself for the common good of the believers And it's no more or less significant, no matter the gift, because they're all from the Spirit. So we got to understand, right? Because we could get caught up in going, well, I want this gift. And I think this is the best gift. And really, God, you should give me this gift so I could get to do this. But that's not the point. The point is God wants to reveal himself. He wants to show himself. He wants to manifest himself in your life. And he knows the best way to do that. So he distributes the gifts as he sees fit. So that's our takeaway. All the gifts are from the Holy Spirit. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to explain why this is important. He goes on to give us this illustration, and we'll pick up in, um, I forgot what, verse 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, and here's what Paul continues to say. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Is there more to that? There it is whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Here's what he's saying. He's comparing the body of believers, the group of believers in the church, to a physical body. And what he's saying is, hey, every part is needed for the body to be complete. And even though there are multiple parts, it's still one body. And even though it's one body, there are still multiple parts in it. And Paul will go on to say uh, that he gives this illustration, and he says, hey, the ear can't decide That it doesn't want to be part of the body and just leave, right? It can't do that. The hand can't say, I don't need you, body, and take off on its own. Every piece is needed within the body for the body to be unified, for the body to be one. And here's how Paul wraps up that section, picking up in verse 24, the second half of verse 24. He says this, But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. There's something that happens. When the body of Christ, the believers act like a body when we act like a family, when we say, hey man, my brother is suffering and right now we're doing that. Don failing, his family is suffering this week and what did we do? We suffered with him. We mourned with him this morning because he's part of the body. We can't just say, well that's their problem. And here's what happens. When the body functions as a body and functions as a family, when we act as one and we carry each other's burdens and we love each other unconditionally and we fight for each other through the disagreements, through the arguments, through all the division and we stay unified, the world's it sees something that it couldn't otherwise see. It sees the love of Christ. The way that God loves us unconditionally. It sees that in the body of believers. If we do this, if we live this out. And the way that we're called to do that is by allowing the spirit to manifest itself in us. Whatever gifts he decides, whatever way he decides to use us, wherever he decides to lead us and to call us to go, we do that, not for our own gain, but for the body because every gift all of the gifts are needed for the body to be built up all of them all of the gifts are used and are needed for the body to be built up so whatever gift you have whatever the whatever the spirit is doing in your life we as the body need that i need that so that I can be unified with you, so that I can know Christ better. Yesterday, um, we had the men's breakfast, and and we had someone come in and teach, uh, a guy by the name of Mark, and I'd never heard him teach before, but man, I was blessed, because Mark has been gifted to teach, and the Holy Spirit showed up and manifest himself in Mark's teaching yesterday. It's not just professional ministers. It's not just pastors. Guys, it is you, the body of Christ, that God wants to reveal his spirit, wants to pour out his spirit, wants to reveal himself so that we can be built up, so that we can do the things that God is calling us to do. But as we've seen over and over throughout this passage, we can't do it on our own. I can't just say, hey, hey I want the gift of prophecy, and I'm going to go downtown and prophesy so that the Lord can be known. It doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit moves in my life. And so my job is not to say, God, I want to do this for you. My job is to say, God, what do you want me to do? And I'll stand here in submission and surrender to you. And Father, fill me up. Fill me with your spirit. Let your spirit be known to all of these people so that you can be glorified, so that we can be united, so that we can be one body. We can't do it. On our own. In in fact, uh, the same guy who wrote this book wrote another book. It's called Romans. He wrote to the church in Rome, uh, believers there in Rome. And he said in that book, he said, I don't know what I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Isn't that true for you? Isn't that true for our lives? The things that we don't want to do, we keep doing, but the things that we want to do, like helping people, like actually serving God, the things that we want to step in and actually doing what God's asked us to do, we we can't seem to make that happen. It's because we're still sinful. And it goes all the way back to what we read at the very first week in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life For me, we'll find it. So here's what we do. We surrender. We say, God, take my life. Fill me with your spirit. Make your presence in my life known to everyone around me so that the body can be built up, so that the world can know who you are, so that we can do the things that you've asked me to do. God, I surrender. I ask that you would come and fill this place with your spirit, that you would fill me with your spirit. God, I don't want anything left of me. I want only your spirit to be in my life.